Hey, what's up, everybody, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to A New Dominion, a podcast where we look to have progressive conversations right here in the Commonwealth. I am Edwin Santana, joined today by Ideli Okewo. What's going on, everyone? Long time. I know, I know. It's been a minute, but um, we heard the people's voices. They wanted us back, um, and after a few-month hiatus... We are back with the episode, and I think um, it couldn't come at a more perfect time. There is a lot of news to talk about, and I want to hop right into it after uh, we kind of talk about what's been going on. What's new with you since we had our last episode? I saw the last episode was July 11th. Give us an update on what's going on uh, with the OK Woes. Yeah, so July 11th, that was uh, like a week before my bachelor party. Um, so that's what initially delayed us from recording um, all right don't say too much about it so you don't get in trouble no you uh actually went on a missions trip um to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to <laughs> but yeah that, that's enough that's enough i won't say more but um yeah we came back from that and then like it, it was kind of a african slash muslim uh wedding procession type thing so there were lots of events uh, so that kept me busy the rest of July. Um, the actual wedding, or I, I then moved. I moved in at the beginning of August, and then uh, we actually got married at the beginning of September. So it was those two months were pretty crazy. And uh, you moved too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I moved from Stafford to Fredericksburg. I'm uh, thoroughly inside a liberal bubble right now, which is pretty nice. Um, we did that in the middle of August, so we've been pretty settled in here. We had our housewarming party, which you and Aza attended, which was which was nice. Mm-hmm. But now that we're back and settled, I figured it'd be a great time to get the show started up again. Exactly, yeah. Um, and as we get closer, as we get closer to election day, I mean, we're only we're we're two weeks out, and I remember exactly where we were this time last year as we saw those returns coming in on election night, um, and we remember what happened then, and I hope we can repeat the magic here in 14 days. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. People are people are fired up. <laughs> the energy has not gone down. Um, the polls are looking good. And I think, I think uh, Democrats, left-leaning people, have learned that, you know, the game doesn't end until those, until the polls are open. So, People, people are not letting up at all. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, it, it might be, it might be uh, naive, but I think, I think Democrats even have a chance in the Senate. But we'll see what happens. Oof, the Senate, the Senate's going to be tough. I think definitely in the House. And uh, I was laughing. I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was telling him a story like, "Yeah, man, I was talking to Idelli day before the election." told him not to worry everything was gonna be great yeah. <laughs> uh, and we know how that turned out on june 12th so i gotta stop telling people to stop worrying not to worry maybe maybe don't be concerned but don't worry worrying never does any anybody any good be concerned yeah, be concerned be but, vigilant, but no worry yeah so i know looking at a lot of i mean i look at a ton of different news sites stuff like that i know 538 has Democrats is pretty clear winners to take over, like pretty clear front runners to take over the House in um, in 14 days, but also just as clear, almost a complete opposite, which is pretty crazy when you think about it, for Republicans to 
gain a couple seats in the Senate. And both of those things kind of make sense. It's nothing, it's not Democrats' fault when you have to protect, what, 26 seats and you only have a chance to pick up seven in very tough areas and stuff like that, states where Trump won big. Like, it's not... It's not ideal for Democrats to do well in the Senate, yeah. and I haven't looked at what the map looks like in 2020. But limiting the damage in the Senate this year, I think, would be would be enough. Um, one thing I think is kind of cool, and that's not getting enough attention when people talk about it, is like the news I'm hearing about all the different governorships that Democrats look to pick up in 2018, which is which is awesome. I know like. Andrew Gillum we've talked about before. I watched some of his debate just yesterday against the idiot Ron DeSantis. Um, but it's just, it's crazy. Um, Stacey Abrams, who you and I met, like, what do you think about that? Like, where we stand on governorship? Something that we definitely don't ever talk about. Yeah, I mean, we have we have some really, and, and this is kind of all across the board, but we have some really good Dem candidates this year. And I, I can't remember the last Democratic candidate for governor as in Florida, as good as Andrew Gillum, uh, he is light years ahead of uh, DeSantis. Uh, like I, uh, I yeah. watched DeSantis is terrible. Yeah, I watched I watched some clips of, of the debate, and DeSantis was just shook the entire time, just shook. You know, eyes just yeah. You know, left going left and right, terrified of Gillum's next like statement, uh, and it, it speaks to what kind of what kind of candidate he is. Uh, he's and he's a true progressive. Uh, he he campaigned as a progressive in the primary. He's continued to campaign on progressive uh, issues in the general, and he's compelling. He's he's got energy. He's youthful. I mean, he's a hell of a candidate. And then Stacey Abrams. I mean, what can you say about her? She she's one of the top three or four candidates in the entire country. In the country, yeah. You know, when it comes to any kind of race, like I saw, I saw part of uh, her debate with. Um, Brian Kemp uh, today, Brian Kemp. and you know she's she's a machine. She's an absolute machine. She's she's smarter than him. She's a progressive. Uh, she's a fighter. Uh, she she you know they, they they try they've been trying to launch smears at her almost on a daily basis since she won the primary, and she just bats everything down. Even today, um, they they put out a new story that she burned a, a Georgia a Georgia flag uh, when she was in college. Yeah. And you know yep. she didn't run away from it. She said, "Yeah, seventy-five percent of that flag was the Confederate flag." And yeah, damn right, I burned it. And it's like you can't you can't knock her off her off her um, off her message. She's 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 really good. Yeah, that, all that all that's true. And it's going back to the Gillum race in Florida. One thing that it reminds me of the race here in Virginia last year. Whereas we got closer to the end, it they gave up on any kind of Republicans gave up on any kind of economic message, anything like that, and they solely began ranting on MS13 everywhere. And I remember Latino Victory released that ad with the dude driving around with the Confederate truck or Confederate flag, like chasing after like some immigrant kids and stuff like that. You know what's crazy is everybody reacted to that ad back then like oh my god was that too much did they cross the line and then just look at everything that's happened in the year since uh, it was all freaking spot on but the race there DeSantis especially because he's the dude that got famous for that horrible ad he did 
um, with his wife and his kids saying he's not all about Trump. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, I do. I do. Basically reading uh, yeah. like a bedtime story to his kid about building a wall. Dumbest, dumbest ad I've ever seen. And um, it also it also goes to show when he got the question, Ron DeSantis, of is Donald Trump a good role model for your kids? Um, kind of funny he couldn't answer that question directly even though he featured his child in an ad where he's reading like the art of the deal to his son so I want to want to ask him so which one which one was fake the ad um, or kind of the way he responded in that debate because any sane person will tell you Donald Trump is not someone that you would want to be a role model for your child but looks like the DeSantis can make a ad that's fake and then choke on stage when someone asks him what should be an easy question. Exactly, and like that, that, that further reaffirms my belief that every Democrat in this country, no matter where you are, should run on your ideals and your principles because Republicans are a soul. The GOP is a soulless party. They don't believe in anything. You know, DeSantis. I've literally never heard him talk about policy of any kind, any kind. I remember after he won the general election or the primary, um, a reporter asked him uh, to you know, kind of clarify some of his policies, policy ideas because he, he just didn't talk about policy. And he said, you know, uh, it's, it's not, it's not uh, formulated yet. Ask me later. And this is someone who is the Republican. <laughs> had just won the had won the yeah, primary. The, the Republican nominee <laughs> for governor of the state in this country. And uh, you look here, right here in Virginia. Same thing with Corey Stewart. He he's he's running like a Twitter campaign. He's not running a real campaign. He's running a Twitter campaign, uh, completely devoid of substance, of policy, of principles, values, anything. And so Democrats have to. 100% stick to their values like we have to fight for for what we believe in we it, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you are, are a believer of like the public option or Medicare for all or this that and the third at the end of the day Republicans are going to tie you to Nancy Pelosi and Bernie Sanders and whatever other you know boogeyman or boogie women they think uh, you know speaks to, to their voters so we absolutely have to run on our principles yeah, I agree. Um, and last thing I'll say about DeSantis is that's the same dude who I think literally the day after he won the primary, like the first thing he says when being interviewed is talks about monkeying things exactly. up. Um, so so not subtle, not subtle at all when it comes there. And you say that the GOP don't think they have any anything, any policies, nothing that they believe in. I think a lot of the racist immigration stuff is probably the only thing they actually truly feel strong, uh, feel strongly about. Yeah. Um, I think is that that's one thing that kind of defines that party. It's definitely not your everyday Republican couldn't give a shit about tax cuts or business, the corporate tax rate or any of that bull. Those people don't care about that, man. They don't want to hear about that stuff. They want to hear about the wall and migrant army caravan hordes coming to besiege um our southern border they they get all worked up about that stuff not actual any any policy or anything yeah. like that so yeah. all right but that that's enough that's enough about those clowns um one thing i do want to talk about just kind of briefly because i feel like we're starting to get to the tail end of this story but what's going on with um the washington post 
reporter that was killed, um, Jamal Khashoggi. Yeah, the contributor. Um, I apo- yeah, I apologize if I mispronounced that, but this whole story is just crazy. All this stuff that's it's obvious that this dude was like assassinated by some Saudi Arabian hit squad. Um, anybody. Anybody who's seen a movie before could tell you that this is like a plot straight out of straight out of some bad spy yeah. movie. Um, but of course, the only person who seems to be confused in all of this is our dear leader Donald Trump, who somehow finds it in his heart to always believe strong men and thugs and hitmen um, and all this other stuff. I, I, I did see um, he was coming around though. I saw a quote today uh, that said. Um, he basically called it like the worst cover-up of all time. Um, so what I'm yeah. thinking is he's gonna he's pretty much acknowledged that okay they did murder him there was a plot. Now I think he's gonna try to kind of just make it go away. I don't think there's any gonna be there's I don't think there's gonna be any kind of subs, substantive uh, punishment against uh, Saudi Arabia or the monarchy. Uh, of course not. The, no. That weapons deal, which by the way is not even 110 billion dollars, he just keeps throwing that number around. No, and you see, I saw somebody like tweeted out how the job, the number of jobs that he he claims has changed. It went from like 400,000 to six to eight. Now it's like yeah. a million. It started, jobs. It started at 40,000 last year. The first time he mentioned it, it was 40,000. <laughs> so it's gained almost a million jobs since then. We're up to a million jobs now, and. It, this all boils back to one thing, and we've seen this over and over and over again throughout this whole presidency. When people talked about wanting to see Donald Trump's tax mm-hmm. returns and the requirement for him to divest his business interests and all that other stuff, people want that for a real reason. And the reason is so that way when any representative of our government is doing like work on behalf of the United States, there shouldn't be a question or a doubt in citizens' mind, is that person doing that to better their own self-interest or the interests of the country? And it seems like everything that Donald Trump does, there's like a hint of him doing it to protect himself and his business interests over the country. And that's why he's doing it now. Like, almost guarantee he has a significant amount of money tied up in Saudi businesses where they've invested before his pretty boy um, son-in-law, Jared Kushner, you know he's tied up over there, and he talks about his um, special relationship with Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, or the crown prince. Like this is why we have ethics laws. This is why we require people to divest themselves before, like going into government. So that way, there's no doubt that you have the best interests of the country in mind, not your own bottom line and we see this over and over and over and over again this is what's so frustrating for me in this exactly and um one thing that was super telling was uh, as soon as the khashoggi uh, news started breaking um uh, a senior um, official in the administration kind of made a off the cuff remark that you know if it was proven that mbs was behind the assassination of a journalist there would be like severe punishment and Saudi Arabia immediately responded and said, if the U.S. punished them, they would levy uh, heavy sanctions against the U.S. Now, what economic interest does Saudi have in the United States or vice versa? 
they they really don't nothing nothing of you know significance. There's nothing they can really sanction us with, but there is someone they can economically sanction, and he's the president yeah. of the United States. Yeah, yeah. That's it's. This is why all these things exist. When people are like, ah, he's a businessman. Would should you expect him to divest from his businesses? Well, exactly. yeah, for this exact reason. So that way, foreign governments can't hold this kind of leverage forget forget the russia story and do they have a p-tape and all this other stuff that that comes nowhere near the amount of leverage that a, another country could have over somebody who fails to divest their business interests and stands to lose like their life's work and their fortune um because they're being punished by another country so like Trust me, I would understand not wanting to lose all that money, but if you're going to run for president, that's kind of part of the exactly. bargain that, hey, like I need to set aside my own personal stuff, divest it, put it in a blind trust so I don't know what their money, where that money is, what it's doing, let it take care of itself while I'm in office, God, hopefully for no more than yeah. four years. Um, and then he can go back to just being an old rich white dude. But for now, like I don't think it's too much to ask that he serve in the best interest of the country, not like making sure Jared Kushner can still cut like business exactly. deals. So how, how do you see this playing out as far as Khashoggi and our relationship with Saudi Arabia? Honestly, I mean, like, I believe, I believe the stories where they said um, the Turkish intelligence played like the audio for Mike Pompeo when he went to Turkey. I believe that. Trust me. I don't know why they, why they wouldn't. If, if they've been saying that all this happened and they like had proof, why wouldn't they show it to them? So I'm sure they did. So like we'll get short of like them releasing the video of them killing this guy in the embassy. I don't know how much more evidence you could ask for. Like you saw in the news, like the body double, yeah. like the dude that they had, that they had there. Yeah. Like they have a doctor there with a bone saw, a guy that looks like him and the dude shown like walking around in his clothing later, like, it's all just terrible. So what I think ends up happening, Donald Trump will reluctantly make a statement softly condemning what happened. There will be pushback because the statement won't be strong enough and it'll be just like what happened at Charlottesville. He'll come back. He'll come back with a rogue killer theory or something like that because he doesn't like to be challenged on anything. He doesn't like to people to prove um, that he's wrong in any way, yeah. shape, or form. So that's what I think happens. Um, I don't think there will be any kind of meaningful sanctions, definitely not with this Congress, maybe in a couple months if we have a Democratic House and, God forbid, a Democratic Senate. But you think Senate or House Republicans are going to do anything against Donald Trump right now? Yeah, exactly. No way. So, I, I mean, one last thing I want to cover for this, and that to me is probably the most the most disturbing thing with this whole thing is the fact that Khashoggi was an American resident who has all of the rights and the protections that American citizens, like they have constitutional rights, just like the rest of us do. And like this guy gets murdered in a foreign country and Donald Trump is like, well, he wasn't a citizen and like they're giving us $110 billion. Like what? That like, that like he very clearly put a price tag on a guy's head and it's like i mean there's millions of american residents that live in this country lawfully legally just like they're supposed to be doing waiting to become citizens 
And the fact that Donald Trump's like, well, it wasn't a citizen. Like, yeah, we'll let foreign governments murder you. Like, that to me is really disturbing. It should be upsetting to everybody of every party, the fact that we allow foreign governments to murder residents. Um, yeah, just I mean, Trump definitely has a, is a pretty transparent hierarchy. You know, the way he views Americans and whether you're, whether you're a Turkish immigrant uh, living in the United States, if you get punched by you know Turkish security forces here, like on our soil, he's perfectly yeah. okay with it. Yeah. Uh, whether you're yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Whether you're a Puerto Rican and an American, he doesn't really care what happens to you, how you recover during yeah. this, uh, a natural disaster, and whether you're you know uh, a, a brown immigrant from the Middle East. It doesn't matter if you're a resident of this of Virginia or the United States. It, he has a hierarchy and he's pretty transparent about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that that's a great point there. Um, people talk about it being all based politics or anything like that. I think it's simpler than that. The dude only cares about like old white dudes who are preferably wealthy like himself, and I think that's where his um, that's where his interests begin yeah. and that's where they end. All right, so I want to move on to more uh, politics talk. The next thing I want to talk about is what everybody seemed to not be able to stop talking about a week ago was fundraising numbers for Democrats. Um, Better O'Rourke, what was that number? Was it 36 or $38 million? I think it was 38. I want to say it was 38. Okay, so, th- so, so 38, $38 million dollars. And again, like seeing the reports that those were the numbers that like Barack Obama put up in the quarter leading up to the Iowa primary back in yeah. 2008. Beto's putting this up in a freaking Senate run that through no fault of his own, he's going to have a very tough time winning. So like th- those numbers are crazy. What do you think that means? The Do you think, and I saw it was from like 800,000 different donors so that just shows you like there's a wide breadth of people who are donating to that race what do you think that says about like enthusiasm and stuff throughout the country? yeah i mean it, it definitely um corresponds with with just the general climate with the general feeling that this is a wavier um beto's numbers are stupid just unreal like eight hundred thousand. that that just blows my mind an eight eight hundred thousand people individual donations yeah, that's, that's wild it's, it's unreal. Um, even even here in Virginia, you know, um, Wexton, Jennifer Wexton, um, I believe she raised three, sorry, 2.6, 2.6 million, I think. Someone fact checked me, I don't know. Um, well, I know, I know um, the one I was going to talk about next, Spanberger yeah, with 3.6. And then Elaine Loria with 1.9, uh, which is a record. A record. Yep, Coburn. Coburn putting yeah. up a million. Yeah. Even in, um, even in the first district, you know, here the Vanjie, I think, like one ninety five, something like that. Two fifty. Um, yeah, two fifty, oh, wow. and then that's the most since uh, Crystal Ball in twenty ten, and she used a, a lot of her own money. So, like, these are significant amounts, and it's all over the country. Like, it's all over the country. I saw. I saw a chart on the breakdown of fundraising, and fundraising is typically something that Republicans have a stronghold on um, when it comes to you know elections all across the country. They they just raise money better, um, 
sometimes it doesn't seem obvious, but they have they have a really good setup when it comes to that. But you know, Democrats have raised, I think, sixty three percent of all the money raised. Um, in, in yeah, yeah, I saw a number like that. So it all lines up for a wave. So and it, it matches up. Yeah, I think I think that's huge. Um, you talk about people putting their money where their mouth is. Like, I saw a lot of people complaining about those battle numbers. Like, oh man, why why are people donating so much to one race? Blah blah blah. And I I kind of I can understand where that was coming from. I was thinking a few of the same things when those numbers came out. But then I realized, like, man, the people who were donating to Beto O'Rourke who were excited about his campaign stuff, it's not like they were going to give that $25 to freaking exactly. Joe Manchin in West Virginia or Heidi Heitkamp or Joe Donnelly or something like that. Like, they're excited about this guy. And if that gets them to donate some money and stuff where they might not have otherwise, like, I think the pool of people donating to Beto O'Rourke into some other like election, they don't really overlap that much. That that money wasn't going to get donated if it didn't go to um, if it didn't go to Beto. And Beto, I mean, Texas is what the second biggest state yeah. in the country. There are a lot of down ballot races that he could really have a positive effect on if he spends that money wisely. I don't know how he spends thirty eight million dollars like with three weeks before the election, but yeah. If he like, if he really puts money into his ground game and stuff like that, and helps turn out votes all across the state, like he can really, really help some of those people running down ballot races. So like he he's going to have an outsized effect on congressional yeah, races so in that I state. Mean, more so, more so than freaking yeah, tech absolutely, groups. absolutely. And I saw, I saw a tweet. It said uh, he he spent seventy seven percent of uh, that thirty whatever it was thirty eight, thirty six, thirty five million. Um, so he's using it, um, and I, I see he's using it to train uh, organizers um, at kind of a, a higher or a greater level than what's usually done in campaigns, just because he has the resources. Uh, he's spending all the money. He's not he's not pulling that crony you know candidate move where you kind of just sit on it and then use it to power your your next bigger election. Yeah, ex- exactly. Run. So yeah. he's spending all of it. Um, yeah, I completely disagree with people who say, uh, you know, voters or constituents or people around the country should, you know, donate to other candidates instead. It's, I mean, I mean, you ran, you ran. The the first thing they tell you to do is, you know, be compelling and raise money. So do you tell Beto to be less compelling? To no, no, this is definitely not Beto's fault. And I mean, as long as he's spending that money and and getting it to like spending it to turn out vote all across the state, helping out other candidates. Like, Hey, he's doing his part in Texas. He's exactly, just doing what exactly. he should be doing. So he, he should keep doing what he's doing. He's going to give uh, Ted a run for his money and you know, voters should, or people in people around the country should donate to whoever they want. If someone moves them, donate to them. Um, that, that's what this is all about until, until the money rules are changed a little bit. It takes money to win races and, I'd say a majority of Dem voters know who Beto is, and a majority of them want him to beat Ted Cruz. So it makes sense. Yeah, and one thing, one thing that I do like, and I hope that we see like more of this, is Beto is running in very red Texas. It's very much a Republican state, um, but he is running as a progressive. Um, he is not a Democratic apologist. 
Um, he has a message that can, I think, also be compelling to moderates and people who are in the middle just because he ru he's running as, like, a respectful guy, um, which is, like, the opposite of, the, like, dudes like Joe Manchin who just make my eyes yeah. roll out of my head. Like, Joe Manchin, we need him um, for now. Like, we need him, but, my God, he's uninspiring. Um, that's like not my kind of democratic politics there. Like what he did after, after the, um, Kavanaugh vote, like releasing a statement that he was going to also vote yes within like a minute of Susan Collins voting yes on Brett Kavanaugh. It's like, come on, man. So I like the fact that Beto O'Rourke in a very tough race, like isn't selling himself out to try and get a few extra votes. He's just running as who he is a progressive guy, a Democrat, a, not a Democratic apologist, something that I hate seeing. And in some debates recently, I've seen right here in Virginia, um, some some Democratic apologists yeah. in some debates. So he's not running as that, which, which I like. And I hope that we see more people who are even running in red states um, yeah. running on that message. All right. Um, <laughs> One funny thing I had down here. Have you seen what Donald Trump has taken to calling himself lately? That. You haven't seen him call oh. himself a nationalist? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I when I saw that, I was like, you guys can't be real. Come on. Are you serious? And now Donald Trump's running around saying, well, you know, like, they say we're not supposed to call ourselves this, but I'm going to say it. I like it. I'm a nationalist. I wish you, the only thing he was missing Seriously. was I'm a white nationalist. Seriously. Then it would have just you been like. Then it would have just you been heard, too much. You've heard the whole thing about like uh, boiling a frog, right? Yeah. So you, you yeah, don't yeah. you don't uh, you don't boil the water and then throw the frog in because it's gonna jump out. You put the frog in the water in room temperature water, and then you slowly turn the temperature up, and the frog never notices that the temperature's going up, and eventually it boils and it can't tell that it's boiling. Then you have a cooked frog. And I saw someone describe Trump calling himself a nationalist as that. It's like, let's just imagine we could time travel. Let's just time travel to <laughs> to twenty, actually two thousand and seven. Let's pretend George Bush got it up to a podium and called himself a nationalist. We would have an absolute <laughs> meltdown, an absolute meltdown, and. And it's funny because you asked me, you know, do I see what he's calling himself? And, like, I saw that early today, and I was like, Trump is crazy. Went on to the next story. And that's where we are. That's where we are. Yeah. It's, I, yeah, it, it, it's absurd. Just he's like, oh, you know, I, I'm a nationalist. I'm a call, I like it. I'm a nationalist. Like, <laughs> man, ah, that's all we have. We don't even have to yeah. talk about that anymore. I just thought it was – I had a good laugh when I when I heard that and just – It's going to get crazy in the next two weeks soon things yeah it's gonna get bad he's on this media blitz right now where he thinks like i hope i mean obviously for a bunch of reasons i hope republicans get blown out by 80 seats but i hope it's enough for him to realize like shit maybe i should just like yeah stop talking yeah. even though that probably won't happen but that's all that's what he needs um from his perspective he won the only yep. race he ever ran in and he thinks everything he does is gold. We need to show exactly, him exactly. otherwise. And I think only, only in the last week or so he's realized that, okay, this is not going to be a blowout for Republicans. So he's he's had to turn up the, no. the rhetoric a little bit. So I think as we get closer to November 6th, he's going to continue to realize that. And it's just going to get crazier and crazier. And, like he, 
he he, yeah. he mentioned a, a fake uh, tax cut for the middle class that did not exist. That was not <laughs> happening. It's like just pure desperation. Yeah, Congress isn't even in it, session. It's amazing. Like the riots in California, the like what riots? You know, it's it's just it's just getting crazy. It's getting crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, the last thing I want to cover before we move on to tonight's game, uh, some of the poll numbers that came out, I'm seeing like the New York Times is still doing their live polling and like, we'll start with uh, Elaine Loria. I was like, she's starting to kind of lag back a little bit. I'm a little bit surprised that Scott Taylor has so much holding power there, but um like that one, that would that one would really suck to see that one slip out of our hands in a race that should be winnable. Um, like Spanberger's still super close. Um, she should be. Up. I would love to see her take down Dave Bratt. Her hers is close. I, I see her coming out on top. But the one that really surprised me the most was uh, Leslie Coburn on top yeah, by like so a percent. That, so I'll just kind of run through um, the other ones you mentioned really quickly. I still think uh, Elaine Lurie is going to win. Um, polling polling overall, uh, since she won the primary, has not been super great for her. Um, I, I don't know why that is. I mean, I know it's a tough district, but I mean, she's never done really well in polls. Um, but at the same time, there's the energy on the ground. She's raising money, so and, and it's a wave year. So I, I, think, I think she will win at the end of the day. Um, I'm... If you'd asked me a month ago about Spamberger, I would have told, I would go Spamberger. I would have told, told you she's she's gonna win. And after the the last week that she had and the last week that Dave Brad had, uh, I th- I think it's it's getting pretty close to a short thing. Like she is she's she's becoming a national name almost um, after her uh, closing statement at the debate. Yeah. Um, yeah. After you know. Yep. People have kind of realized that Dave Brad is an idiot all across the country. Uh, so I, I think she's she's going to win too. And then Leslie Coburn, we had conversations about, I mean, we, we're always talking about this stuff, but I was completely caught off guard by that. I was caught off guard by those poll numbers. I was caught off guard by how much she raised. Um, here on the ground, things had gotten pretty quiet about the 5th District. Um, it seemed like it was no longer... Yeah, after after the Bigfoot after the Bigfoot story. Yeah, exactly. Things got super quiet. Even uh, even the Republic the VA uh, Virginia Republicans idiot Twitter account was kind of you know making jokes about uh, her campaign, saying you know uh, D Trip has given up on them. Uh, they they don't even get a mention anymore, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, in the last in the last couple of weeks or so, I mean, it seems like. She stands a pretty good shot to, to beat. I think it's uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Ben Klein, no, Denver Riggleman. Denver Riggleman. No, no, no. Yeah, Ben yeah, Klein is. So, so, and she stands a pretty good shot to beat Riggleman. So I mean that that, that was that was a surprising development. And I, I hope so. Do we do we want to send a dude who's like a fan of Bigfoot erotica to? Congress, like the, the the whole story was just so dumb and highlights kind of like where politics is right now. But I just remember looking at her fundraising numbers. She raised a million dollars. Um, like a lot of a lot of that was like yeah. individual contributions, um, not not a ton of PAC money and stuff like that. 
And yeah, I just remember being surprised she's still out there running a running a good yeah, race. That'd be yeah, a great so pickup. I, I, I think and, if, if uh, she wins, I think right now, if if if, if you uh, if, if you ask me, I would say we're probably around thirty to forty seats as far as flipping them uh, for Democrats. If she wins, yeah. then it's probably going to be around fifty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if she wins, that means we're having a big night all around yeah. the country. So, yeah. All right. So one thing I want to move on to right now um, is the game that I've been talking about that we we're gonna play here for a while, but it's called <laughs> Who Said It, uh, Kanye or Trump. And we talked about this before, but this was even this was before that uh, oh, beautiful. Oval Office monologue that your boy Kanye had um, with Donald Trump. So I'm going to read you a quote, and I'm going to ask you who said it, Kanye or Donald Trump. You'll probably know these pretty well, but um, with the listeners, let's see. And listeners, uh, I I didn't. All right, so first one. I've never seen any of these questions before, so this this is legitimate. All right. All right. So here we go. Number one, welfare is the reason a lot of black people end up becoming Democrats. Who said it? Kanye or Donald Trump? That, if I wasn't such a Trump and Kanye addict, that would be very difficult because it really could have come from either of them. But that came from Kanye in his diatribe. (laughs) (laughs) That was a monologue. That was a monologue. (laughs) Yeah, his monologue on Saturday Night Live. That's my final answer. Yep, that is uh that is uh <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Number two. This one should be pretty easy too, but it was just funny, so I had to put it in here. Not a lot of male energy going on. It's beautiful though. I'm gonna give the listeners a second. I'm gonna give the listeners a second to to think about that one. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So who said it? Trump or Kanye? Not a lot of male energy going on. It's beautiful, though. That's also good, because, like, that sounds like both of them. I mean, that's... that's I, mean, that's I know. The, the, the game, yeah. The, the, it's, the it's beautiful, though, sounds like something Donald Trump says all the time. He called... I mean, he's out there exactly, calling Ted Cruz exactly. beautiful now, um, so... But, yeah, that, that's... Uh, that, that's all right, uh, so what, what do you got? Yay from Chicago. Uh... That's Yay from Chirac. Okay. All right. Question number three. I've got Tiger Blood. All right. That one might actually get me. This is a trick question. Is this Charlie Sheen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's> tr- <laughs> there you go. You got me. That was a trick question. That was Charlie Sheen. But I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm pretty sure. Kanye was talking about what was he talking yeah, about dragon, dragon energy, energy or something like that energy. that's why I thought I could trip you up with the tiger blood but you got it that's that's a good one I've got tiger blood said by Charlie Sheen probably as crazy as Kanye yeah, and Donald Trump all right <laughs> all right the next one the beauty of me is that I'm very rich I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's Trump that could easily be Kanye, but I'm going to say that's Trump. 
that okay. that's that's Trump. All right, and uh, and our final question. I think I'm actually humble. I think I'm more humble than <laughs> you'd understand. <laughs> Who said it? All right, that's Donald Trump. There you go. So um, your boy Delhi, five for five. Even spotted my trick question in there. But that's the first iteration of who said it, Kanye or Donald Trump. And I hope, uh, hope for the listeners that was a little bit more challenging than for you. But I know uh, you got you got a head start because you used to be on that I Yeezy bandwagon. Um, it must have been pretty hard. You must have hurt yourself pretty bad falling off yeah, the it was, bandwagon. It was a long, protracted fall off the bandwagon. Uh, it was painful. It was very painful. I remember the first time, um, the first time Kanye went into Trump Tower after the election. Um, I got on Twitter and defended him a little bit, and <laughs> I, I got shit on by black intellectuals. <laughs> but you know, Kanye's been like he's been probably my favorite artist since since high school. So, and he 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 had like political raps, like really political raps. He used to he used to call out Ronald Reagan. He used to talk about inequality. He used to talk about shit. Jesus walks is one of my exactly. was one of my favorite songs. Chicago, so just this last this last year has been tough. It's been tough, but I'm I'm finally off the wagon. He he's worn he's he's off the, the wagon right times. now. <laughs> it gives him um, superhero powers. Cape. I think he said. <laughs> it's his cape. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. All right, man. I think that is about a wrap for what we've got here. You got anything else you want to close no, on? No, I don't. Um, but I will say this. I, I didn't put together a list of uh, events for everyone to check out this weekend. But um, yeah, just check. I, I, I've, I've heard a bunch of people asking, reaching out to me, uh, trying to see where certain events are, things of that nature. Go like the all, all the candidates. Uh, uh, Jennifer Wexton, Abigail Spanberger, Vanjie Williams, Elaine Loria, Jennifer Lewis, Anthony Flacavento, you know Jerry Connolly, uh, Don Byer, um, Don McKeachin. Like everyone's pages on Facebook. Bobby Scott. Bobby Scott, Scott. come on now. Uh, <laughs> like all of their pages on Facebook, they always have their and Edwin, you know this because we we had to update this every week, but. They always have their events uh, listed, especially right now. It's crunch time. Um, a lot of candidates are doing daily launches, daily phone banks, uh, daily postcard events, yep. things of that nature. So uh, I'll, I'll even plug my guy, uh, Most Cycle Dean in Alexandria. Uh, we're canvassing every weekend. He's canvassing every day, twice a day. So if you really want to get after it with him, reach out to us. We'll, we'll get you involved. But yeah. Go to these guys. Go to these candidates' Facebook pages, Twitter accounts, anything, and get involved. This is crunch time. Uh, we we talk, you know, we talk lightly about how um, we're gonna flip a lot of seats this year, but it's not gonna happen. It's not a guarantee. It's not a. It's not concrete. We have to still continue to work until, you know, it's it's election day. So uh, that's my plug. Next um, next episode, I'll have a concrete list of uh, events around the, around the state, around the Commonwealth. Sorry. There you go. All right, you guys. Um, thank you very much for listening. Um, it's glad I'm glad to be back here in a new Dominion making the podcast. Um, I'm Edwin Santana here with Ayadeli, and we are out. <laughs>